Welcome to the Risk and Repeat podcast, episode number 56. I'm Rob Wright, editor of Search Security, and I am here with my site editor, Peter Lotion. Peter, welcome. Hi, Rob. Peter, we are talking about one of your favorite subjects this week. We're going to take a break from all of the WannaCry ransomware worms and equation group exploits and all of the, the madness that's going around the threat landscape these days, because I think we need a break Peter, we did we did a two part episode on WannaCry and sort of the fallout around that. Attacks are still kind of ongoing there with new types of ransomware, new variants, and then some of the other stuff that we've seen uh, using the uh, equation group uh, exploits. Which are, the situation isn't good, but like I said, we need a break. We need some downtime from all of that bad news, and we're going to talk about something else that on the surface may seem a bit dry, but I think it's pretty important. We've certainly written a lot about it. We've certainly heard a lot about it. I mean, this is a subject that was front and center at RSA earlier this year, back in February. And it's stuff that that I continue to hear about, that you obviously continue to hear about. You're sort of our point man on this uh, topic. I'm talking about GDPR, the the General Data Protection Regulation in the European Union, the EU, as they call it, as we call it. Peter, you have written a fair amount over the past, well, year at least, about GDPR, sort of the lead up to GDPR and what's going to be happening over the next year. And what is, give us the short version of, of events. What is going out? Why is this important? Why are we talking about GDPR now? So. Based on all the people I've spoken with and, and corresponded with, I think the big deal about GDPR is that it puts teeth into the regulation. And this is the thing that everybody, you know, they run around screaming and tearing their hair out over like they're on fire because you could get fined by the EU as much as 4% of your annual turnover. That's revenue. That's before profit, before expenses. That hurts. That's, so that could... Yeah, I mean, 4% of revenue for a company that's got a 2% margin means that you're in the hole for two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, Or 20 million euros, whichever is greater, so that if you are a little shop and some and you do something to, to break GDPR, potentially your maximum penalty could be 20 million euros. That's about right. 22, 21 million dollars US. Now, as I said, people are panicking about it because they've got these huge fines on it. Well, the other thing that I've been getting from a lot of the people I talk to who are expert in this is that that's the maximum penalty. That's if you do something really, really bad, egregiously bad. Like, let's say... Conceivably, though. Conceivably, I yeah. mean, if... I'll just interject there for a moment. Uh, we don't really know what is bad in the eyes of the EU just yet. Well, that's the thing. And, and in fact, that's, uh, I believe, Gary Southwell was saying to me that the thing is, you're not going to, you're not going to get fined 20 million euros on May 25th, 2018, sure, when enforcement sure. begins. They don't even know what's they're going to consider really bad or really not quite so bad. But the thing is that uh, what Gary was explaining is that when these regulations come in, they they 
take a little while to, to build up some experience with enforcing them. So um, potentially you could get fined big, big, huge dollars or euros for, for not protecting data of EU people. Right. If you do something really bad, but but probably like if you're making a, a good faith effort, you're probably not going to get hit with the maximums. I think that they're reserving that. They're probably going to reserve that for the really bad cases where a lot of user data that's not necessary to the the organization's business is being saved and sure. not encrypted, not protected, not tracked, not you know not protected in any way. So that. That's where that goes. So I, you know, a lot of the panicking I think is premature and probably a waste of energy. But some people like to panic. But uh, on the other hand, though, uh, your interview with Gary uh, Gary Southwell, general manager at uh, CSPI, uh, That's networking right. IT security company, in right here in Massachusetts. That's Lowell. right in Lowell. So he said that it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of movement on GDPR, at least in the U.S., that it's one of those things that has been put on the back burner and, well, now you have you have less than a year, right? That's what right. is the date for where this starts to go into effect? I mean, the GDPR, I guess, I guess it's worth noting, this is law. Like, this is the law. It's been passed. It goes into effect on... May 25th, 2018. Right. So you've got uh, a little bit less than a year. Right. Um, to comply or to get ready to comply, uh, micro. Now, now, that said, Gary Southwell mentioned that you know there's not a lot of uh, uh, visibility here in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, most of the people that I've spoken to or corresponded with, when I ask them about what about you know visibility of the regulation, even in the even the EU, there's there's still not a a huge amount of um, of uh, awareness of the new regulation. Like there's people that you say GDPR to, and they will say, "What's that?" Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, again, if you want to panic over that, that's fine. Yeah. You can do that. But it's like it's kind. Of, it reminds me of Y2K, when I mean that thing was that was ramping up for not just a couple of years because. The, the regulation was passed, I believe it was the, either the end of 2015 or beginning of 16, but it was not um, approved by the, by the EU uh, legislative and governing bodies until May, right. at which point they said from two years from this date is when it's going to go into enforcement. So, I mean, we've had about two and a half years, or two, sorry, about two years, sorry, it's not two years. In a year, it'll be two years. Yeah, it's in about a year, a year, it'll be two years. We've already had a year and a half, roughly. And we got uh, another year to go. We have another year to go. But people were, have been working on the GDPR, you know, the, the regulation itself. They were working on that for a couple of years as well. So it's slowly but surely ramping up. Y2K, I remember talking to people more than 10 years before 2000 probably like around, you know, the mid to late 80s and telling them it's going to be a nightmare and I'm not going to be... old school. It is old school. <laughs> and I, I would, if you'd asked me 30 years ago, I would have said, 
I'm going to be out of this business before 2000 yeah, because I don't want the joke is was on and is on me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But but the fact is that um, that these things people are people who need to be aware of it are becoming aware of it right. if they're not already aware of it. So it's bubbling up from you know the the uh, the troops up to the to the co- the executive offices, and it's also bubbling down from the vendors who are starting to talk about it. Microsoft came out, they were the first big cloud vendor to come out and say, we're going to be compliant. Amazon followed suit, and then Google fell into line at the beginning, beginning of May this year, mm-hmm. which I kind of missed that one. But, but they're, all, they're all trying to tell their customers. And Microsoft came out with a big announcement this week. Yes, you covered that. Yep. Uh, that I did cover um, about, new st- about how they're going to help their customers. Because prior to that, People were, you know, when I asked people about, oh, Microsoft is going to support GDPR in the cloud, and people were basically saying, eh, it's that's fine, but you still have a lot of work to do. Right. Um, and you still do have a lot of work to do if you're a, an enterprise yeah. and you're and you're doing business with anybody in Europe. Um, but one of the, uh, but so there's a couple of points here. One of the things that Gary Southwell pointed out is. If you are taking credit cards from maybe a couple hundred Europeans a, year, a month, right? That's a different, whole different category than if you're a, a credit card processor and you're doing a couple of hundred credit card payments from oh, e- from EU a minute or yep. a second or, or you know whatever that number is. But those people have to really be on top of it. If you just if you're just peripherally in the EU market uh, as a as sort of a courtesy to people who try to who want to buy your products? That you still have to comply. You just don't have to. You don't have to put in the whole in, in infrastructure. You don't have to hire a whole team. You might want to assign one of your people on staff to be in charge of making sure that you know what to do in case there is a GDPR issue. Yeah. Um, so that was one point. And the other point is that, oh, Microsoft Cloud, right? Microsoft Cloud. They are. In their announcement, they have announced that they're going to do. They're going to provide some tools that you can use. Doesn't mean that you don't have to do the work, but it'll make it a little bit easier. Sure, to do sure. It. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, like in the story, you talked about. Uh, you, you talked about the the story you did on the Microsoft you know, GDPR tools to help you know with compliance. I mean, it's one thing for Microsoft and Amazon to say we're going to be GDPR compliant and good for them. That means they're compliant. It doesn't mean that anybody who uses their service, their cloud service, is automatically compliant. They still have to manage some of this, but they make it easier now for that to be accomplished. And like one of the things that, that really stood out to me about Microsoft was the, I think it was called the yeah, Azure Information Protection, which basically you can do document tracking and it's going to monitor where sensitive data that's tied to EU citizens, where it goes, so that when you do have to wipe it, you, you can find it. it's not scattered across however many different, you know, disparate anonymous data centers, not anonymous, but you, you know what I'm saying. Um, not every company is going to be using uh, their own data centers. They're going to be outsourcing to other, there's co-location, there's multi-tenancy, there's, there's a lot to, to, to be aware of and to manage with this. Uh, well, and that's, that's a, a big issue because even though having your cloud compl- uh, provider be compliant with GDPR is not going to f- uh, fix you up for GDPR, it is 
so I should say it's necessary but not sufficient. Um, so you have to, you still have to do the work, but you also, if you're using a third party to process your data, to store your data, to remove your data, to track your data, that third party has to be GDPR compliant. So it's not, it's not a nothing. It's some, it's definitely something. Yeah. And if you're using a cloud provider who is not GDPR compliant, you could be in trouble for that. Yeah, yeah. So even if you even if you do all the rest of the GDPR stuff, but if your cloud provider is keeping, you know, sacks of data sitting lying around in an unprotected facility, then you could for all the work that you do, you yeah. could still be in trouble. So that's why it is very important that that your cloud provider um, follow along with Amazon, Apple, not Apple, sorry, Google, Google, and Microsoft in terms of, of announcing and and supporting GDPR right. compliance in their in their cloud services. And here's where it gets tricky. So you got the big infrastructure as a service, you know, uh, uh, platform as a service guys out there doing this, which is great, which is great. Also in that announcement uh, that Microsoft made that you wrote about, they they have a, a feature for. Cloud applications, Office 365, advanced data governance feature that does basically the same thing. You know, you can classify the data, you can label it, you can set up monitoring for that data so that you can find it when you need to remove it or make sure that it's not going to places that it shouldn't go. Here's my question. How many cloud app companies out there, SaaS providers, besides the big ones like a Salesforce or a Microsoft Office 365 or some of the other ones, how many out there are really doing that? Probably very, very little. That was, in fact, one of the one of the threads that I was following last year mm. on GDPR, and I, I want to say maybe early this year, but I th but I think it was it was towards the end of last year when when GDPR was starting to uh, to coalesce a little bit in terms of people's uh, thought process about it. Um, we've done. We've posted stories that that uh, review findings that there's that the average enterprise may have a thousand or more yeah. cloud apps. Probably growing every day too. Well, if that I mean a thousand is a lot. That that seems like a huge number to me. Um, but they have a thousand or more cloud apps, and of those cloud apps, the vast majority are not even close to being GDPR compliant. Now. Yeah. That said, I think that's going to be an issue for a lot of companies going forward. Right. They're going to have to start to look at that. And another thing that um, that comes up and uh, that'll come out on Tuesday in a, another story that I'm working on about GDPR, uh, your data doesn't just live in databases now. It lives in documents like, like the Office 365 tool that, that Microsoft has. So yeah. you want to be able to track that. You also want to be able to track uh, emails and maybe even texts. Who knows where you're, you're, you have potential for leaking personal data. Yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a really important function of GDPR for companies to look at that and figure out how to tie down as much data as possible. Not just tie down their data, but make sure that the data they are collecting is mandated, is required for their yeah. business. I mean, if you don't need to know how old somebody is, you probably shouldn't ask for their birth date, because that's a sensitive. That's a very sensitive piece of data. A lot of companies try to collect that when they don't need it, right? 
I mean, and I think that's one of the good things about this is that if you don't, if you don't need the data, then why collect it and put yourself at risk? If you're dealing with a lot of, you know, millions and millions of customers, users, whatever you want to call them, I would think that you companies would probably want to err on the side of, well, let's not, let's not risk it, let's not jeopardize ourselves. But then again, you don't know what the penalties, how harshly they are going to be imposed. You know what the penalty, maximum penalties are, but you don't know generally how this is going to shake out. I do want to touch on that a little bit later, but first I want to ask you, you, you just wrote another story that, uh, or you're working on another story that is yet to go live, and it deals with uh, just sort of like, you, like we're talking about, the general consensus around what's needed to be GDPR compliant, how, how companies here in the U.S. are viewing this. Uh, two things. First, encryption. It's not... It's, it's obviously it can protect data and it's it's a great thing you, you want to be able to lock your, your data down and make sure it's not exposed but does that does that necessarily it's not really does it solve all of the the problems it, you can't just tell a company like encrypt all your data it it's not entirely practical to do that um, if it's moving from place to place if it's often in transit that's that can be pretty taxing on a network number two but does it is it are you GDPR compliant if the encrypted data is accidentally exposed in a data, or not exposed, it lands up in a data center it's not supposed to be? Well, so one of the points that, that actually several of the people that I spoke with about for this for that piece, encryption is, is beautiful for GDPR because if your data is secure, is securely encrypted, and now, that you got to qualify that, yeah. but if you can show that you've encrypt that you keep all your data encrypted, then Nigel Hawthorne from Sky High Networks had a great point. He said that for for GDPR encryption is a get out of jail free card, because if you can show that the data that data has been breached but it's securely encrypted, it's, it's a mitigating factor even if it's. We, exposed or the, it's the wrong place. The data hasn't been exposed. Right, it, right. Not exposed, but, but yeah. I mean, ends if, up in a place it shouldn't be. Right. If the data has moved somewhere where it's not supposed to go. And, and I mean, if you can show that data went to an unprotected data center for three seconds and then went, then somebody caught it and sent yeah. it back, you're not going to get, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't guarantee it, but I think that you probably won't get fined the yeah. full amount. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to if the data is not encrypted and is sitting in an insecure, as I mentioned, an insecure facility for months at a time and people have been hitting it and downloading it, that will get you closer to the maximum penalty than if you just find something that, yeah. is, you know, that went for a few seconds and then went right back. Yeah. But, but yeah, if, you can, if, you, if all your data is encrypted, and of course this means that vendors are going to start popping up uh, I believe one of the one of the people I spoke with, uh, their company, sells a product oh, that, yeah, yeah. that encrypts and allows you to process the encrypted data. Which we've not sure I mentioned that in the article, but but yeah, you did. Baffles the name. Baffle, yep. yeah. So, but yeah, like if you're a vendor and you're selling an encryption product for data. Um, you're going to be hitting on GDPR as a selling point. Yeah. For sure. And the other question I had was, and we really haven't gotten a 
completely straight answer on this yet because it's 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 a I don't want to say it's a thorny subject. It's it's unclear because we're entering an era of more distributed computing, distributed applications, and then there's distributed data. And sometimes when you store an email or a document in a cloud service, it's not on one server. It's not located on just one in one data center. Pieces of that data can be broken up and sprinkled out through throughout a number of different environments. And when one piece of that data when one or one link in that chain is exposed, does that constitute, you know, if a fragment of that data is out there, does that constitute an exposure? Because you can't really use it if it's not connected to the other pieces of data. And the reason I bring that up is because it's, I think this is one of the most fascinating points about GDPR and our, our counterparts over in uh, the UK Computer Weekly have written about this a number of times, but GDPR really broadens the the scope of what personal data is and what what needs to be kept private. It's not just your birth date or your social security number or your driver's license, your address, your telephone number. It's things like economic data, social information. It's really anything that could identify you as a, as a, as an individual. And like it could be browsing data. Like it, it, there, there's so many different things that you that could be included in this. And a lot of that data, if you know, obviously collected together, paints a, a pretty big picture. But even if you have a, a, a specific type of data, and that is in a document and it's split up across a distributed environment, well, like I said, if a fragment of that gets out, is that are you in trouble for that, or does that not matter? And is that the way we're going to be going with distributed, not just distributed applications and distributed platforms, but distributed data in general, so that you don't have all of that specific type of data stored in one place. It's it's split up and sprinkled across a number of different places. So who well, knows? It's a good question, and we'll see. I think I, if I remember correctly from my reading of the of the regulation, if the data can be linked to an individual, yeah. then it's protected. If the data can't, you know, if it's just a right. simple shoe size, let's say, which if linked to your name yeah. would be protected if it's just your shoe size with no other data with it then you're right. fine yeah um to me the more there's a couple more important questions that are that are raised and one is the question of is the gdpr going to unite the world in being more secure and well. having and having like uh, this really uh, sort of the way that the california emissions yep. yeah. standards uh have propagated out to other states, or is it going to uh, put a wall between the United United States and and other countries and the EU countries? Yeah, um, and have companies treat some data nicely and other data less nicely? The other question that that comes up sometimes in these discussions is, what about encryption backdoors? There's a, there's there's this all this yeah. political stuff, and it's. If you put a backdoor into data that's that's supposed to be protected under GDPR, you no longer have yeah. the ability to say that this is protected yeah. because there's a backdoor news, that exists. Right. So it is bad news. Um, the other que the other question about whether it's going to uh, fracture the market or unite it. One of that was one of the comments I believe from uh, Richard Steinen of uh, 
Blanco, Blanco Technologies, who said that uh, it's possible that companies who have the next big thing who are not quite ready for supporting GDPR, if they start getting a lot of registrations from the EU, they may have to cut them off. Mm, maybe. I mean, if you're asking me, here's what I think. And this ties in a bit with the penalties, but there's been a real reaction overseas to the NSA and the federal government surveillance in this country. The surveillance, you know, whether you want to call it an overreach or not, it's viewed as an overreach outside of this country. And it's it's what led to the dismantling of things like Privacy Shield and or a, a Safe Harbor, rather, and the, the introduction of a, of a stricter, more detailed regulation in GDPR. I mean, there's a direct line from things like Snowden's revelations about the NSA surveillance and the, you know, the alleged or, or real, however you want to term them, abuses of those, of those surveillance powers and what we're dealing with today. And I think that what we'll probably see is more company, more countries kind of go in the direction of a, of a GDPR, you know, outside of the EU, going in that direction. And then what you may see in the United States is states, individual states going w in that direction on their own. Because I don't know that you're going to get with, with the way the federal government is right now and, and, a, and a, a very fractured Congress, you know, split you know, down partisan lines and it's going to be difficult to get anything through, whether there'll be any sort of agreement on what, you know, we should do about data privacy uh, and, and how in the world could, could Congress uh, uh, legislators bet between now and, you know, say 2018 come up with sort of a consensus around doing something to, to improve the situation and, and rein in, you know, uh, uh, invasions of privacy, whether they're from the government or whether they're from private industry. And this brings me to the final question. Uh, now, do you think that given the reaction to the surveillance state in this country and sort of what spurred the creation of GDPR, do you think that we may see at least in, in, the, in the short term in, in sort of the you know, in 2018, summer of 2018, we may see some some harsh penalties levied against co uh, companies that do break it. Because, I, I, you know, you said, like Gary uh, Southwell said, you're not going to be fined on May 26th. But I do wonder if the EU is going to send a message right out of the gate that this is not, a, you know, it's not a paper tiger, that this is real and it's got teeth. And we're, we're going to take it seriously. And if you violate it, you're going to be punished to the fullest extent of the law, given the history of how we got here. Yes, but I think let's look, you know, think about some of the big breaches of the last couple of years. And so um, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, Yahoo yeah. did a pretty bad job of securing yeah. their, their customers' data. Um, I would I would say that Yahoo would probably get slapped with a pretty sizable fine. But they can't retroactively. No, no, no. Right. I mean, but if, if yeah. this happened, yeah. If, if yeah, that right. would be yeah. You're right. That would be a, a, a sort of a worst case scenario, at least 
not maybe not worst, but one of the worst. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about OPM. Yep. Think about Talk Talk. Think right. about uh, Ashley Madison, oh. <laughs> if you dare. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So these think about the breaches, and then think about how you know. Think about Target. Think about um, yeah. You name it. Um, if though if one if something comparable to any of those happens, I think those will you know a high pro- profile case. It exposes a lot of data, a lot yeah. of sensitive, and the more sensitive, the more likely they're going to get slapped um but i think if you uh if you if it's more of a lapse or more of a we didn't we're not quite there yet but we really intended to do it and look at what we've done so far right uh in those situations i think that that the uh, authorities will probably are more likely to to go for uh a a lesser but still painful penalty i mean that the reason that this is so different and so new is that it's got these huge penalties on it. Yeah. And, you know, while it's exciting and interesting to focus on the, 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 the worst possible case, the fact is that most companies are going to try their best to comply. And when they fail, they'll, you know, they'll give us more information to go on for our, for our next encounter with the GDPR so that, yeah. uh, so the companies can, can gauge how much they need to spend. Like, if if, it, if they think it'll cost them fifty million euros to be compliant, um, but they're looking at a, at a penalty of only say a thousand euros for the kind of uh, uh, infractions that they they are likely to incur. What do you think they're going to do? Yeah. They're probably probably going to skip it. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But if they do that, if there's a pattern, they may get in trouble later. Yeah, yeah. I do, and, and I'll I'll close with this. I do. I don't think there's going to be any shortage of companies, at least in the U.S., that are going to be candidates for such big fines because we see it every day. Not every day. We see it every week. I mean, there's a, there's a company here that's collecting data they shouldn't have, whether it was like a Vizio TV that was collecting viewer data and misusing it or, or whatever. So it's going to be interesting to see in the spring and summer of 2018 next year who runs afoul of this and how how hard the hammer drops on them, and that is gonna that's gonna to say a lot about the future of this law and how the EU really looks at data privacy and how we in the U.S. are gonna react to it. So, yeah, thank you for covering all of this. This is definitely a complex issue, Peter. My pleasure. And thank you for being my co-pilot on the podcast as usual. Always my pleasure. And thank you to the readers and listeners of Search Security. I'm Rob Wright, and we will see you on the next episode of the Risk and Repeat podcast.